Have you been out birding? Out birding with field guides is the new birding video series you've been hearing about. The latest episodes from Lima, Peru, Arizona, Brazil, Cape May, and the Prairie Potholes include adventure, conversations with fascinating bird people, and field pointers. Remember, even when you're at home, you can always go out birding with field guides. Join the fun at outbirding.com ABA. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. Hope everyone is doing okay. I want to remind those of you in the United States to make a plan to vote. So much of what we care about is on the ballot this year as it is, well, honestly, in every election season. We've talked about it a fair bit here in the abstract in terms of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and the Endangered Species Act and sage grouse and how policy affects them, but... I think we as birders sometimes miss the fact that nearly every aspect of our hobby is impacted by the decisions of policymakers, not just at the federal level, but all the way down. You want to see more wildlife-friendly zoning decisions or more parks in places where there aren't parks? I mean, those are the results of city and county, even neighborhood democracy in action. Some of the places that I bird where I live are there because the city council and the city planner decided, hey, there should be a park here. And of course, I, I love my state's state park system, which is there because my state made it a priority to purchase that land, to build the infrastructure up, to staff those facilities with decent paying jobs, to attract individuals who manage the park in a way that makes it conducive to birding. This is all really important stuff. This is all stuff that is on the ballot, not at the top of the ticket where all the action is, but all the way down, all the way down to the bottom. And I and I know, I don't have to tell you all that, but consider it a reminder, make a plan to vote because it's important. And if you want to listen to me talk about birds and voting more explicitly, uh, I am going to be a special guest participating in the Ock the Vote movement on Saturday, this Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We will be phone banking for birds and the environment. Previous special guests include Jennifer Ackerman, Jonathan Franzen. So obviously you might be slumming it a little bit with me. I'm sorry I didn't let you know when Jonathan Franzen was going to be on. Uh, but so it goes. We will be trying to convince people to vote or answering questions about what birds are at their feeders and why are they all pine siskins. You can get information and sign up at ochthevote.org. Perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll see you there. On the show today, way, way back in April, so far back that we were still a bi-weekly podcast, we had an episode about what birders are going to do to deal with the pandemic. Well, <laughs> we're heading into winter, and those concerns are still on the front of our minds. My colleague and birding editor Ted Floyd is with me to talk about what we've learned how it's going, what winter will look like in the year of the pandemic. He joins me after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the third week of October 2020. October and November are typically excellent months for vagrants in the western part of North America, and this week definitely plays to type an oriental greenfinch in Florence, Oregon, that's in coastal Lane County, is a potential state first and only the third record 
of this widespread Eurasian songbird in the ABA area away from Alaska. The bird was seen at an RV park right on the coast, which caused a, a little bit of frustration to residents. Thank you to longtime Oregon birder Alan Contreras for smoothing over that potentially difficult situation and allowing many birders to see the bird a dozen or so at a time. That wasn't the only Asian visitor to Oregon this week. The state's second record of wood sandpiper was seen at Ankeny National Wildlife Refuge in Marion County only a couple days earlier, so something interesting definitely going on in the Pacific Northwest. And in Colorado, a ruddy ground dove in San Miguel County in the southwest of the state represents a state first and the farthest north record of the species that has increased in frequency in the southwest in recent years, though not by as much as you think. There are a handful of Nevada records that get close. Those are the highlights for the week, as always, for a more complete look at all the rare birds seen across the U.S. and Canada, and there were a lot. Uh, check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning at aba.org rba, or you can go to our Rare Bird Alert Facebook page at facebook.com groups slash ABA Rare, or you can follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. I'm Orieta Estrada. And I'm Tyke James. We love birds, and together we lead the Black and Latinx Birders Scholarship Fund. I need the attention of all Black and Latinx folks with the love of birds. If you're currently a full-time undergraduate student, and if you live in or attend a college or university in the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, or Delaware, you should apply today. November 1st is the deadline. Yes, it's right around the corner. But we're only asking for a two-page essay two-minute video, or even a really good Twitter thread. You can have $5,000 from the birding community to support your studies. Just let us get to know you and how you plan to contribute to your birding community. See specific rules and apply at marylandbirds.org forward slash grants before November 1st. That's marylandbirds.org forward slash grants. And if you have any questions, email scholarship at marylandbirds.org. We are now in the seventh month of this COVID pandemic purgatory, and way, way back in April of this year, I spoke with my colleague, Birding Magazine editor Ted Floyd, about what birding will look like during the pandemic. Well, here we are in October, looking at a long winter uh, wherein COVID is still a concern, but at least we have you know, maybe a slightly greater perspective on what we know and what we don't know about all of that stuff. So welcome back, Ted. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Nate. We're doing uh, well enough, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of us are. Um, so how has your own birding sort of been affected by COVID this summer, this fall, or if it has at all? You, you know, it's funny. Um, I think speaking for myself, for sure, and and speaking for you uh, on your behalf, if I may presume to do that, you know, I, mm. birders are um, in general sort of, I think, uh, naturally optimistic we tend to look at uh <laughs> glasses half full and we tend to uh try what's the expression try to make lemonades out of out of lemon um yeah. and you know I, there's a part of me that, that that's doing that and i hope that we get around to talking about some positives um yeah i mean just to <laughs> just, i don't want to you know completely uh, steal my own thunder but i mean a lot of patchwork <laughs> a lot of um yeah. sort of more local birding but I, I guess i also just want to um you know say on a serious note here, I mean, that's not the best way to start out here, but this is really a, a bad thing. Um, this is not like a, um, oh gosh, you know, I think you and I talked years ago about, you know, pelagic trips that get canceled, but how often mm -hmm. the, uh, the onshore birding is even better than it would have been on the boat or something like that. So I, I just don't want to sound too 
too rosy here. You know, the, the statistics are probably familiar to, to most of us, but you know, we're looking at approaching 250,000 people dead in the United States now mm-hmm. since, since you and I last spoke. And so much of that has been preventable. And, yep. and really, it is sort of a worst case scenario. I remember, um, I do remember when you and I spoke, and I remember that the uh, the peak of the pandemic was supposed to be April 12th. And I remember that because that was my birthday. Uh, and it was also uh, Easter. And, mm-hmm. you know, the idea was, you know, we might, you know, horrifically reach, you know, 85,000 deaths or oh, something like that. How naive that. we and, were. How naive, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and even um, the people who aren't dead have been so seriously affected by the, the pandemic. So it's, you know, it's maddening because I think so much of it was preventable. And it's, it's really sad because I think it is about as bad as could be. So I know that's a really um, downer of a buzzkill way to start things out because I, I have a feeling pretty soon you and I are going to be laughing and joking and, as I said, yeah. sort of making, making uh, lemonade out of lemons. But I, I just want to, um, to be serious about uh, how, how bad this has been. My, my kids and I talk about sometimes you know, how they'll look back 50 years from now on the events of, of 2020. And yeah, it'll be dramatic, but I don't think they're going to look back upon it with sort of, you know, a twinkle in their eye and a warm spot in their heart. It's it's a pretty rough time we're going through. Yeah, and certainly connected to all that, I, I don't want to discount the fact that it has been a, it has been a difficult time for a lot of us. I mean, even those of us who have been fortunate enough not to suffer any sort of illness because of COVID, I think I think all of us know someone, at least in our circle of friends or extended family, who has come down with it at this point. I and obviously, you know, it's affected a lot of the way that we bird as well as a community. So many. Festivals have been canceled, rightly so. I obviously think that they made the right decisions in doing that. Um, so many of our local bird clubs, the sort of monthly meetings that we look forward to, are have been completely rearranged. Yeah, and like you said, I don't want to discount the effects that this has. This has very real effects on, on all of us in ways that are first order and second order and third order and just all the way down the line. And I don't want to feel as though any of this is ever normal, obviously, because this is an extremely abnormal time. And as you say, we're all sort of doing the best we can, right? Yeah, you talked about the uh, resourcefulness or the adaptability of the the whole birding community. And I, I've really been been struck by that. Um, you mentioned bird clubs and, and bird festivals, and they're very different from how they were <laughs> you know, eight or nine <laughs> months ago, yeah. but they're still quite active. I, you know, I've been involved yeah. with several of my local uh, birding uh, clubs, uh, nature clubs out here, and we're having events that are quite different. Uh, just last night, I was on the phone with Jen Hodge, who is a, who heads up the San Diego Bird Festival, and they're going to be having a bird festival, by golly, in uh, February, and it's going to be very different, but it's going mm-hmm. to be a bird festival. Um, the Christmas bird count is something that's coming up, and there are going to be a lot of changes in how birders do the CBC, but it looks like there will be a Christmas bird count. So I, again, I not trying to be too positive here, but I am really encouraged by how adaptable the the birding community has been. And, and by the way, how adaptable the ABA has been too. Uh, we've had to pull back or really completely postpone our in-person events. The uh, mm-hmm. the young birder camps are particularly distressing to me because I've been so involved in those, but uh, just the, uh, the, the events more generally. And yet we've launched the Virtual Bird Club. We've been really active on the EDI front. Uh, we're doing more of these podcasts, for example. So mm-hmm. um, to the extent that the ABA is sort of, I think, a microcosm of the broader bird and, and nature community, it is gratifying that there has been sort of a roll up your sleeves, uh, adapt as best as you can, move forward and, and do exciting new things aspect to it all. Yeah. One of the things that I found particularly interesting about my own personal birding 
is that the the birding itself, the opportunities for birding have been, you know, fine on my part. I, I discovered a really nice place behind my house that I had never known about before that I can access and go birding. I found some really phenomenal birds back there that I would not have expected all within like two blocks walking distance of where I live. Um, but my opportunities for birding in the morning have been affected, not necessarily first order by COVID itself, but by, funnily enough, my kids' online schooling schedule. <laughs> you know, I, I really wish they would move all that online stuff to the afternoon because all my best birding <laughs> time in the morning is taken up like teaching my children how to copy and paste That's and how to connect themselves to the internet. And that has perhaps been one of the more frustrating aspects of this whole pandemic it's, it's like I'm not birding, but not for the reasons you wouldn't necessarily expect. It, it's been uh, disruptive. That's sort of the most uh, generous <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. descriptor I can use there. Uh, yeah, no, a- absolutely. Something as trivial seeming, for example, as getting out uh, to one's local patch or even I, you know, w- when to go shopping. or <laughs> mm-hmm. th- these, these things are all affected uh, by the fact that, at least speaking for myself, I think this is um, the case for you too, there are suddenly more people in the house than there used to be (laughs) during the, uh, during the, uh, the workday hours. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Moving on to, you know, that lemonade we Mm -hmm. talked about before. Um, what do you think that we have learned as a birding community? Are there things that we have learned to do better? Certainly things that we appreciate more. Well, um, so you had better and appreciate. I realize that's a multi-part yeah, yeah, question. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So, so so I'll 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 get to appreciate uh, yeah. first. That that seems simplest. Practically everybody I've spoken to uh, has been forced into more patchwork. Uh, mm-hmm. That is to say, local birding than they used to be. And I'm not hearing a lot of grumbling on that front mm. at all. I think people are finding, oh, by golly, there actually are cool birds around my my house that I uh, that I hadn't known about. Um, on a very personal note here, I, you know, we, you and I and, and others at the ABA sometimes uh, talk uh, back channel about our, our, our local patches. And, and my local patch, uh, Greenlee Preserve here in uh, Boulder County, Colorado, is one that I've actually added um, four life birds to, you know, patch life oh, birds wow. to in the, in the past month. And you know, I, I do that about once every two years now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm now I'm at a rate about a, a life bird per week at the patch because that's sort of the only place I'm at much yeah, of I've the gotten, time. I've gotten two county birds yeah. uh, in my little area behind my house in the last two weeks, one of which was bay-breasted warbler, which was something of a nemesis for me for a very long time. And the other one was a cerulean warbler. I got a fall cerulean warbler, which is actually quite a good bird. In yeah. yeah. And, and and same here. I um, I think I am averaging about one county bird per month now. And, you know, <laughs> and, that, and that was back to like, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, one county bird every two years or something mm-hmm. like that, just by virtue of getting out locally so much. Uh, the other thing too, is that um, since um, I'm blessed with kids who have outdoor inclinations, um, we're spending a lot of weekends um, a little farther from home. We're not flying anywhere and we're not really mm-hmm. even driving all that far. But uh, I have made a lot of uh, trips to uh, secluded and unpeopled places in the foothills and mountains that have actually been new to me uh, in the past five or six months. So that's been a, um, a sort of a nice aspect to birding during the pandemic for me as well. Yeah, we've done the same thing, actually. Um, discovered a couple new state parks that I have mm-hmm. not been to before that were really pleasant pleasant walks. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of into county listing total ticks here in North yeah. Carolina, and I was able to make a little bit of headway on that, yeah. which, was, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you, um, you had that two-part question. We've just dealt with the second part, which was appreciate. Um, you also said sort of how have we gotten better. And you know, that's a somewhat more ponderous matter. Uh, I, I think many of us have actually gotten better at 
bird identification. We're paying more attention. We're, we just have this sort of a more sort of fine scale, fine tuned outlook on the comings and goings of birds. I, I think that we're certainly getting more aware and probably better at the whole engagement of the birding community. It's, it's, it's a paradox, you know, even though there are all these, uh, you know, um, social distancing restrictions in place now, I'm nevertheless encountering more birders in the field mm -hmm. than ever before. Now we're keeping our distance and we're wearing masks and we're doing virtual fist bumps instead of shaking hands. But I am encountering so many brand new birders, either brand new to birding or brand new in my experience. And I think that, again, speaking on behalf of myself, I think on behalf of many of us, we're getting better at, uh, at community, at engaging other birders out there, whether they're people whom we just didn't know about or who actually didn't even know about birds until we encountered them a, a while ago. So that, that's a, a positive yeah. to me. I, I also think that the, um, maybe sort of, if you will, the, the key values, the um, non-negotiable values of the ABA and the birding community have really strengthened as a result of the, um, the pandemic. You know, I, I know that birding is, you know, 90% about fun, <laughs> but, 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 you know, there, there are some real uh, virtues that I think we considered to be essential to birding. You know, when I think about the ABA in particular, I think of the virtues of um, community, of um, mm -hmm. inclusivity, uh, accuracy, uh, yeah. by the way, uh, a science, um, acknowledging that the pandemic is for real and that we need to wear masks in the field, that we need to um, minimize large group gatherings in the field and even small group gatherings uh, in, indoors. Those are all things that have come out of the pandemic that are affecting bird watching in the ABA. And again, I just think we're better at those things I rattled off. I can't remember them all now, but community, inclusivity, accuracy, science. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I hope that those lessons um, continue uh, with us long after the pandemic is over. Yeah, we talked about that back in April, this idea that there really does seem to be a real moment happening with birding because people are home and sort of more aware of the things that are going around their their neighborhoods or, or more or looking for things to do from home, like putting up bird feeders and sort of enjoying the birds that come to them. Um, it has been really gratifying to see that continue. I don't think that is really tailed off. I mean, we've seen a lot of you know, very exciting things like, like say Jason Ward on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me mm, yeah. uh, just, just a couple weeks ago. I mean, that it goes to show that this birding thing is, is growing, that the frustrating part of it is that we are all sort of stuck at home, sort of trying to steer the ship remotely, you know, trying to get people into, you know, excited about birding without sort of our, the regular tools that we've had available to us, like uh, bird club meetings and bird walks and things like that. Though I have seen some clubs kind of, wading back into the bird walk, you know, pool a little bit more. Uh, I think knowing what we know about COVID and the coronavirus and how it's spread primarily indoors uh, and primarily among people who are among, you know, in close proximity, um, it does feel as though we can responsibly sort of get back into some of the things that we enjoyed before this happened. I, I, I agree. And I, might, I don't know if this is I'm not sure if I'm pushing back at something you said or if I'm amplifying something <laughs> you said, but yeah, I'm picking up on a marked uptick in outdoor, small group, you know, well-regulated mm -hmm. birding activity in just the past month and a half. Uh, I was actually at a bird festival. I mean, I traveled to a bird festival hmm. back in early September now uh, with um, a, a huge asterisk there. <laughs> Only two of us were actually participants in it, <laughs> but uh, we, were, we were making videos in, in real time and streaming them to uh, the, the many participants 
in that festival. I mentioned um, talking last night with Jen um, over in San Diego about her festival, uh, which is going to be early next uh, year. And it's going to be this sort of hybrid, you know, online, uh, in-person festival. Uh, and then at a very local level, um, the, the Broomfield Bird Club <laughs> that I operate with, um, uh, the Lafayette Birds Initiative, we're having bird walks again, small mm-hmm. groups, um, because the turnout can be fairly high on these beautiful autumn days. And in Colorado, we are ensuring that we have multiple leaders who are, you know, mm-hmm. properly distanced from the other groups. And you know, that is logistically challenging, but we actually had a group with more than 50 birders in by the, with eight leaders and, yeah. and, you know, groups of, you know, five to six participants at a time, all about a quarter mile along the trail. And it was carried out in, in a manner that was far more sort of a, I guess, surgical <laughs> and logistically yeah. uh, mindful than we had ever done before. But the, the point is you actually can go out and bird in small groups, uh, mindful of the, you know, I would say very wise and yeah. scientifically motivated uh, cautions about birding in the pandemic. Yeah, that's really interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, we are able to kind of go back to this traditional way of of encouraging, bringing people into the fold, bringing people into the birding community. And two, you know, the need for more leaders provides more opportunities for people to give back to the birding community. I know that getting into those sort of leadership positions, even if they are relatively low stress, low scale, like your local bird club can be a really great opportunity for people who perhaps have never done that before, who want to give back to the birding community, who want to put themselves out there, this is a great time to do that. Yeah. And I have a, uh, I appreciate your saying that I have a, a gentle exhortation to, uh, to would be leaders out there, you know, and Nate, you and I have lamented this over the years, you know, back and forth to ourselves and, and everybody else on staff has done this too, but there's always been this sort of neurosis about how a, a leader has to be, you know, mm-hmm. the world's best identifier yeah. of birds. And that yeah. was never true. And it's yeah. less true now than it ever was before. And I just think that there are so many people out there who uh, honestly, they want to be outside with other people. And mm-hmm. I find that, um, I, I've always thought actually that, uh, being a quote unquote good bird leader is more about logistics and human relations than anything totally else, is, yeah. but knowing but where I, the bathroom is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think that's even, that's, that's more true now that, that, than ever. Now that's not to say that I don't encounter incredibly skilled birders out there, many of whom know more than, than, than I do. But my point is, that's not the point. My, my point is that simply organizing uh, groups of people who want to get outside and breathe fresh air and feel the summer sunshine, I guess now the, the fall sunshine, is what motivates people more than than ever before. So if you've just got a little bit of a, a soft spot in your heart for other human beings, if you enjoy being outside, that's pretty much all that it requires. And uh, there's a, a desperate need now for folks who can simply... Um, with a modicum of organizational ability, get some people together outside. Uh, perfect strangers are, are perfectly good <laughs> uh, candidates for such activities. Uh, get out, watch birds and, and other things, by the way, uh, for a, um, a couple hours and have a good day as a result of it. Christmas bird count season is coming up. I think it's clear that we're going to still be dealing with COVID at that point when CBCs. These have traditionally been such a great opportunity for us to reach out to the larger nature curious community and, and bring people along, you know, the, the sticking a newbie birder with an experienced Christmas bird count counter has been like a long standing way to, to welcome them to the community. We're obviously not going to be able to do that this year, perhaps not, at least not in the same way, 
what do you think is going to happen with Christmas bird counts? I think obviously I think that they're going to go on, but the community aspect of it is going to be slightly different this year, obviously. That's absolutely the the case. I think that the Christmas bird count, I don't mean this in any way as a knock against the CBC or Audubon or anybody else involved in the sort of Uber planning of it, but it, it's going to be an, an imperfect uh, event mm. this year, just the way that bird festivals are, are, are imperfect uh, at the present time. So, you know, for me personally, as much as I love the day in the field, uh, the compilation supper is one of the yeah. highlights of my my year. You know, I, I never go to um, high school reunions or college reunions, but there is sort of this like reunion feel about mm-hmm. the compilation supper. There are a whole bunch of people, and I imagine this is the case for you too, that I, I only see once a year, which is at the, at the Christmas count compilation. They have busy lives and I have a busy life. And, you know, we do other things, you know, for the other 364 days of the year. And I'll, I'll certainly miss that. And I can't imagine, you know, with the Boulder bird count, for example, crowding, you know, 75 people into one right. apartment the way we have, or into a, you know, into a busy, it's very anxiety inducing. Yeah. 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 So I don't <laughs> think we're going to be doing that, but, but I also think we're going to be, um, imaginative and creative. We're going to solve problems. And let, let me just give you one example. I, um, I've just been enlisted to participate in one of my favorite Christmas bird counts of all, which is the Fountain Creek Christmas bird count down in, um, in El Paso County near Colorado, where Colorado Springs is. And um, I remember a couple of years ago, just due to a miscommunication, <laughs> the building that we were supposed to have our lunchtime roundup in was not available to us. So we had our compilation outside with a fair mm-hmm. bit of shouting across the parking lot. We laughed about it. And, you know, how could the compiler have, you know, made that mistake? And by he's a totally great guy, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, I think we're going to have to do that again. I think it may be really quite... Um, entertaining and sort of heartwarming. So we'll adapt. We'll, we'll somehow have many outdoor compilations, but um, things, things will be Compilations over Zoom. <laughs> well, As if we're not all yeah, Zoom we, fatigued we, by now. We, we, we shall see. Yeah. So yeah. anyhow, um, that is coming up and um, the Christmas bird count will be different. I think is probably the best thing I can say. Yeah. As you say, I, I sort of mourn for the loss of the the compilation supper the compilation roundup i I mourn for the loss of you know getting into a car with a total stranger and and being friends with them by the end of the day i just say i don't want to be too positive because i do want to you know make clear that this is a serious thing and and i i do think it's important to sort of mourn these losses that we're not going to be able to do this year and hopefully i don't fingers crossed 2021 we're going to be doing it again but i don't think anyone can even see that far ahead it's uh it's uh, very strange but i i i'm definitely going to miss all that stuff yeah you, you mentioned 2021 and I, I assume you mean the end of 2021 you know the, Correct. the next Christmas. Yes. Yeah. yeah and um that actually it's funny i guess i'm taking control of the conversation from you now here but it's something <laughs> no, just, no. just no no something something that popped into my mind was that i think that there will be some salutary uh long-term changes um to how we bird i remember uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, Dr. Fauci was saying that one of the uh, casualties, if you will, of the pandemic will probably be um, handshaking. You know, mm-hmm. that, that we as a society probably just won't shake hands as much, you know, even, you know, 25 years from now as we do now. And uh, he rattled off all of the uh, positive health benefits of not shaking <laughs> hands. So that, that, that that's mm-hmm. one example there. But, you know, I, I wonder also about how um, we as a community will be uh, impacted long-term in, in positive ways uh, because of, of, of what's come out of the pandemic. I, I do feel that we're going to cherish and value, uh, as I said, community and inclusivity more than ever before. You know, having it all sort of taken away from you as it has been mm-hmm. in the past seven or eight months is something that I think causes uh, you never to take it for granted again. So I, I see positive uh, 
developments for community diversity science uh, and, and so forth coming out of the uh, the pandemic and probably just little tweaks and changes to how we bird that maybe we're not even foreseeing right now, but that we'll look back on five or 10 years from now and say, hey, yeah, actually, this is an improvement. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm optimistic on that front. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think that those things, I think that we definitely will appreciate those things more than we we ever have. And it's it's not just birding aspects. I mean, it's just all sort of community aspects that I'm missing, I tell mm-hmm. you, like, because uh, we are, um, this is not a birding thing, but just, just a community thing. Like we are season ticket holders to our local mid-major college basketball team here in Greensboro. And like being in the, being in a crowd and cheering for a team is something that, uh, I know it's, it's something that at the moment doesn't feel like a big thing, but right now, boy, Mm -hmm. it feels like something you'd want to do more than just about anything. And I think a lot of those aspects of birding are going to be like that. I know that there's going to be a light at the end of this. I I feel like we're going to get through it, but I don't want to dismiss the idea that, you know, people are really missing these things right now. And and I think that it's, it's right for us to kind of talk about why we, why we miss it. Yep. No, no question about it. Yeah. Looking forward to that wonderful day when COVID is finally, if not completely behind us, at least uh, not at the front of our minds. Um, what are you looking forward to most well, um, <laughs> I have sort of a, a, a hedonistic answer to it and then sort of a more <laughs> th- thoughtful answer. So, so honestly, I, don't get me wrong. I love Colorado and I love Boulder County. And I love Lafayette, but I am kind of itching to get away again. Um, <laughs> I was um, sort of reflecting with one of my kids the other day about how I think it's the case that I've done less out-of-state travel this year certainly than any of my 40 years as a birder. And I'm pretty sure any of my 52 years as a human being, I might have to get my, my parents <laughs> to, to confirm that. But yeah. even though I'm, when I was three or four years old, you know, we, we would travel out of state um, several times a year to see, to see relatives. And uh, I've been out of state once uh, this, this entire year. It was just a, a short day trip with uh, one of my kids up to Wyoming, which is you know, not far away from here at all. So, so honestly, even if it's just getting out to North Carolina <laughs> to, to see mm-hmm. you um, or something more exotic, you know, international travel, you know, I, I honestly am looking forward to that again. I really do miss it. Um, on a more, as I said, you know, I don't know, sort of a somber or serious note, I am looking to sort of a, a restoration of, uh, of sort of real in-person community. I, 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 I meant what I said about sort of being sort of in awe and really sort of admiring the ability of the bird community to uh, cobble together a, a sort of a substitute birding experience with Zoom meetings and virtual bird mm-hmm. clubs and, and online bird festivals. And, and that, that's great. And I'm really, uh, I really admire the birding community for that. But there's just something wonderful about having a hundred or more people together, maybe not all looking through a scope. We've learned that that's how a lot of bacteria can be transmitted, <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, but, it's but, like but handshakes. Just, we might be right, right. I have a feeling that sharing views at the scope may not be something we ever fully go back to, but n- n- nevertheless, the idea of just having 50 or 75 or a hundred people all gawking at the same osprey nest or admiring the same, um, a little feeding flock of, of pelagic birds off a boat or on a, a boat or something like that is something I really do hope we we get back to. So I'm looking forward personally to uh, getting away from Colorado, <laughs> and, and and on a um a broader note, I'm looking forward to sort of a, a some semblance of of normalcy, bigger in person gatherings, uh, you know, properly regulated and sort of carefully considered, but more or less a return to the way we used to do things. 
Yeah, I, I the, the travel one hits uh, very close to home for me as well. I had some very exciting travel plans uh, for this year that unfortunately were put off. I'm looking forward to both birding and non-birding, and uh, look forward to to getting those back on track. Um, I have a I have a group of uh, friends here in North Carolina that we get together periodically and just go to uh, a bar. Uh, somewhere in a common distance from all of us and just sit together and, and have some drinks and talk, talk birds. And, uh, oh, I miss that. I miss that a lot. And uh, there have been some, you know, fall evenings where we're sitting outside and watching the nighthawks fly over and just uh, chatting with friends about birds and whatever. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to that when that becomes safe again. So yep, totally concur. Yeah. Ted, thank you so much for chatting with me. Uh, Ted Floyd is uh, our Birding Magazine editor and, you know, pretty frequent guest here at the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Nate, thanks again for having me. We'll do it again some other time. I hope so. Maybe in person yeah. someday. Maybe so. All right. Great. <laughs> American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the free resources the ABA provides, please consider joining us. It really does help us out, especially in these uncertain, bizarre pandemic times. We have memberships at whatever level works from you, from student memberships all the way up to sustainers. We have memberships where you can get all your magazines online. You can get more information at aba.org slash join. I want to make a special shout out to Lydia Hastings of Etlin, Virginia, Martha Mealy of Portland, Oregon, Eric Dietrich of Sebastian, Florida, Susan Berthelot of Atlanta, Georgia, Dan and Sarah Tattersall of Batavia, Illinois, Stuart Kraft and family of Macon, Georgia, Emily Lubman of Salem, Oregon, and Charles Von Rossbach of Santa Clara, California, all of whom joined or rejoined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. It really does mean a lot. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who is reminded in this political season of Ulysses Grant's 1872 campaign slogan, aren't we all? Grant us another turn, which also doubles in advocating for a sandwich turn split. Technical production is by John Lowry, who after spending the better part of a day searching for a vagrant phalarope, was known to utter in frustration the 1912 presidential slogan, I'm for Wilson and an eight-hour day. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, whose passion for small, skulky songbirds is best expressed by invoking Lyndon B. Johnson's 1964 campaign, All the Way with LBJ. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, on Instagram at American Birding Association, and on Twitter at ABA. I just, you know, who among us hasn't been inspired by Truman's 1948 slogan, when you spot a drumming Leuconotopicus velosus. You look at that bird and you can't help from yelling out, give him hell, Harry. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, folks. See you next week. <laughs>